0: Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, But Jonah had gone into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. Amen. This is the reading of God's Word. Alan, you
1: for this time to uh, to focus on your word. And it's just it's my prayer, all our prayers, Lord, that we would hear from you. We, we, we all come here today hungry for a word from God. And, and um, that's what we ask for. I pray that you would just help us to separate out the chaff of what I have to say. And may the, the, the kernels of the truth of the word In Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So the title of the sermon today is Sleep in the Storm. Going um, to be talking about sleep a little bit, obviously, and so I thought I would start with some fun facts about sleep. Um, so here you go. Uh, did you know that research shows you'll sleep? that you sleep better during a new moon, and worse during a full moon, although the researchers don't understand why. Fun fact. Here's another one. Did you know it's impossible to sneeze while sleeping? Kind of makes sense. Uh, Sleep deprivation leads to greater risk of heart disease, kidney disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and stroke. So get your sleep. Lack of sleep makes you hungry and increases your sugar craving by 45%. Okay? Sleeping improves your memory. Uh, Here's some animal facts about sleep. Two-thirds of a cat's life are spent asleep. That's easy to believe. My cat. Um, and here's my last one, my favorite. Did you know sea otters hold hands when they sleep so they don't drift away from each other? Isn't that awesome. Anyway, fun facts. Um, so here we are. We've been in Jonah now for about a month, and we're just now to verses 5 and 6. Um, as Stephen said, we've kind of been, um, you know, taking a slow walk through the first part of it here, and we'll pick up speed a little bit later on. Um, but as as Stephen read, you know, so far uh, in the story, God calls Jonah to go out and preach to Nineveh. Um, Jonah that want to have any part of it, and so he runs in the opposite direction, and um, goes and gets on a ship, goes out to sea, and God hurls this great storm upon him. Um, And then we get to this passage, uh, verses 5 and 6. So I want to first look a little bit at just the different characters in the passage, and and, um, try to some observations there, and, and then talk more about this whole concept of, of sleep, Jonah's sleep, and, and our sleep. Um, so first of all, we're told about the sailors, so they are afraid, right? They're in the middle of the storm, this is a big storm comes along, and they are afraid. And we need to, you know, be aware of fact like, that, these are sailors, right? So they've spent their lives on the sea. It's not their first storm, so they've obviously they've been through storms before. But this there's something about this storm that's different, right? This is a this is um, a terrifying storm, a storm so um, so terrible that they're crying out to their gods. They're asking God for help because they don't believe they can get out of this storm with um, on their own. Um, so, their response actually is, as a, as a Christian point of view, their response is kind of admirable because their first response is to, is to cry out to their gods. Now, they're, they're polytheistic, we understand, you know, from this time and place in history. Um, so, it was common for people to have personal gods and family gods and national gods. or all kinds of different gods. And um, that's how they understood the world worked. So, their first inclination was to cry out to their God for help, because they're desperate. And then they start throwing the cargo overboard, right? Um, as Christians, I mean, that's a, good, that's a good model, right? Pray first, take action second, right? So there, it's, a, it's an admirable uh, pattern that they've set out there. Um, and in contrast with Jonah, um, there, they appear to be, um, you know, doing the best they can in the relationship with the God that they have. Um, while Jonah, who's supposed to be the religious guy, the hero of the story, he's actually, you know, going the opposite direction. In fact, Jonah. Um, well, we'll get to Jonah later, but. Um, these guys, I think it's just worthwhile to notice, these, these men were calling upon the only gods that they knew. Their, their first reaction was to look beyond themselves and, um, and ask for their guides for help. Um, you know, we could say this is like foxhole religion. You've heard that term where, you know, it's the faith that kind of passes after the after the, the storm passes. And, and that may be the case with this. We're not really... Really know, um, you know, we all know that experience of um, you know, Lord, get me out of this situation, and if you do, then I'll do anything. You know, I think we all can relate to that. We've all been those desperate situations where we, um, you know, maybe make these promises to God that we don't necessarily keep. But I don't think I don't think the author is actually critiquing their faith here. Um, but rather is really kind of co- contrasting them with Jonah. Because they're, they're the ones, even though they're pagans, sailors, they are crying out to the God that they know. Um, Jonah, on the other hand, knows the true God, knows what he should be doing, and he's not doing it, right? So what has Jonah not done? Well, obviously, he hasn't obeyed. You know, God told him to go to Nineveh. He goes the opposite direction. But also, he hasn't even prayed. Right? Interestingly, we haven't heard a word out of Jonah yet. Um, you know, there's no uh, dialogue with God. There's no, mm-hmm. hey, God, I really don't want this assignment. You know, can you find somebody else to do this? There's, there's no, um, I don't want to, you know, I don't know why you're asking me to do this. Why would you? Why would you want me to go to the Ninevites, They're a bunch of evil, wicked people. There's no conversation, right? It's just Jonah just or Jonah just says, "I'm going the other way. I'm not going to. I'm not going to have anything to do with this." And the irony here is, um, you know, Jonah is told to go to preach to the Ninevites and to call to them to turn to God, right? To, to repent for their wickedness and to, and to turn to God. But here in this passage, the tables have turned, and now we have this pagan ship captain who's calling to Jonah and telling him to pray, telling him to turn to God because he hasn't turned to God yet. Um, so it, it's quite a... a, a Indictment on Jonah that not only is he is he um, not doing what God is calling him to do. This pagan ship captain is kind of doing what Jonah is supposed to do. So the you know the religious guy, the spiritual guy in the story, or the supposedly spiritual guy in the story, uh, is being rebuked by this pagan sailor, polytheistic pagan sailor, because of his lack of Spirituality. When the captain goes to find Jonah, he finds him asleep. Okay, just so like I've said, a the theme of the message today. Jonah's is asleep, and it's not just any sleep. It says, "It says it's a deep sleep." What is a deep sleep? There's a the word here, the Hebrew word that's used here to describe Jonah's sleep, is the same word. That's used back in Genesis when God um, put Adam to sleep to take a, a rib out of his, or, yeah, a rib out of his side to create um, E, right? So this deep sleep. This is not like just you know a nap. This is not like a, you know a heavy sleep. This is like he's comatose, or you know, he's like anesthetized almost. Um, and I think the the um, the reason that he is, or we can can speculate that the reason that he is is that he is despondent, right? He's in despair. he He has this sense. He knows what's going on. He knows that he is failing in his calling to be a prophet. He's doing the opposite of what God has created him to do. And he's, in, he's just in despair. So he's trying to escape that reality of his situation, right? This is, I think, Jonah is in what I would call a, a sleep of escape. Um, it's interesting, you know, the, the, as we read through this, there's this theme of going down. Jonah is, is described as going down. Back in the, in verse two, after God calls him to go to Nineveh, um, it says Jonah first he rose, right. But then it says um, he went down to Joppa, right. And then it says he found a, sh- a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and he went down into it. And now in the ship, he go in the ship he goes down into the innermost parts of the ship. It's like this. He's just trying to get further and further away from um, the presence of God, right? He's trying to escape. And his sleep is is a, a sleep of escape. I think. Um, I can relate to that. Can you? You know? Have you ever been in that situation where? Just things are going wrong, or even you've done something wrong, and you maybe you know what the right thing to do is, but you don't want to do it because it's going to be embarrassing, it's going to be whatever, it's going to be hard to do. And so we have this natural tendency to want to escape, you know, uh, to, to go to bed, pull the covers over our heads and just pretend that the world isn't out there. Am I the only one who feels that way? I don't feel that way every day, but sometimes I feel that way. You know, there's there's things going on that I just can't cope with, and I just would be easier to escape, go to bed, go to sleep, and not think about uh, my troubles. And I think, you know, in reality, that our world is full of people who are trying to escape reality. Um, you know, that, why is entertainment such a big industry in our world, right? We, we, not that entertainment is wrong, but it's easy to escape the entertainment, right? Why do we have all these problems with, with uh, substance abuse, you know, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and all these things, people escaping, trying to escape from the, the difficulties of life. Um, Life is hard. There's lots of there's lots of troubles out there. You know, it feels like lately that the world is is, even, is more insecure, more unsteady than it used to be, and and it's easy to have that sense of wanting to, to just escape, just find a way to not think about it. So that's where Jonah is. He's in a deep sleep. I think trying to escape. Feelings of guilt and despair and fear all the f- negative feelings that he's dealing with and he doesn't really want to deal with it right? he doesn't want to, to deal with God to solve the problem so that's Jonah now what about God I'm talking about the characters in the story here what about God And I'll just throughout there, you know, when when we think about, if I asked you what the book of Jonah was about, I think most of us would say the book of Jonah is about a, you know, a wayward prophet who gets swallowed by a whale, you know, kind of the rest of it sort of gets a little fuzzy, but it's about a man getting swallowed by a whale, right? But I I would like to propose to you that the point of the story of Jonah is not about a man getting swallowed by a whale. But rather, the point of the story is God's relentless love and pursuit of all. Jonah and the whale and the sailors and the Ninevites, they're all kind of props in the story. But the main point of the story is God's amazing pursuit and compassion on all peoples, big and small? Right. Um, there's, there are many characters in the story. You know, we have Jonah. We have the sailors. We have the fish. The Ninevites. We have a plant. We have a worm. And we have God. Okay. Behind it all, underneath everything that's happening, is God work. God is calling Jonah to have a better understanding of God's own heart. Uh, Jonah's understanding of God was deficient. Jonah thought that really he was sort of like the polytheist. He thought that God was the God of Israel only. And he didn't want to share God with these other nations outside of Israel. He didn't understand that God's grace and mercy extended beyond the boundaries of Israel. But what's amazing is that God is not content to leave Jonah in his racism and in his misguided theology. That God pursues Jonah to to open his mind to understand who God really is and what God's really all about. So God comes and he shakes up Jonah's world. Um, You know, if if God had only been interested in the Ninevites, if the main point was that God wanted somebody to preach to Nineveh, he could have gotten a, a more obedient prophet, right? He could have gotten somebody else to do the job. But he called Jonah because he knew that he had some work to do in Jonah's life. Um, so, you may be asking, you know, where in these verses do I see God pursuing Jonah? And I believe it's through the ship captain. Um, when we look at the, the the words that he uses to speak to Jonah, they are almost the same as the words that God used um, back in the very beginning when He first called Jonah to go to uh, to preach. Back in, in verses 1 and 2, it says, um, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, Where the girl has come up before me. When the ship captain comes along, he uses some of the exact same words. Um, he, says, he says, Arise, just like God did, and call out to your God.'" Those words are the exact same words used back in verse 2. He says, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So the captain comes to Jonah in the same way that the word of the Lord came to him in the very beginning, calling him to rise up and call out. But now Jonah's being told to call out to God by this pagan ship captain. Again, here's the religious guy telling the, the, or here's the pagan telling the religious guy to pray. Uh, Oddly enough. This, I believe, is God in pursuit, right? This is God speaking to Jonah. These are God's words coming to Jonah. It's like that song we sang. His goodness is running after me. God is a God who runs after us. And here is God coming after Jonah. Even though he's trying to bury himself in the bottom of the shed, trying to sleep to ignore the world and hide away, God comes to him and shakes him up and wakes him up and calls him to come out of this Jonah somehow thinks he can run away from the presence of the Lord, but God will have none of it. So, the storm, as Stephen talked about a couple weeks ago, you know, the storm is really a metaphor for. is not really how to avoid storms, but how do we find peace in the midst of it. When we look at, at the concept of sleep in the Bible, just taking kind of a bigger view of it, um, sleep is, is kind of seen in various ways, the understanding or the, the concept of sleep is used in various ways. Um, you know, most often just Normally, the way that we would use it is so-and-so is sleeping and whatever. Um, But often it has, you know, there's more significance attached to sleep. Um, Sometimes it's actually a metaphor for death, uh, especially in the New Testament. Um, But that's not really where I want to go. I want to look at just the, the way in which the Bible treats sleep both negatively and positively. Okay? Um, because sleep can be in, especially in the Proverbs, sleep can be just used to describe laziness, um, or inattention to responsibility. Um, the great verse for this is Proverbs 6, verses 9 through 11. Uh, he says, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. So in this case, you know, sleep is we're, we're kind of, sounds like we shouldn't sleep, right? That if you sleep, you're being lazy, and, um, and I think the point is, you know, if you love sleep too much, it's going to lead you into poverty. But there's another um, aspect of sleep, where it is treated in a more positive way. Uh, for example, in Psalm uh, 4, verse 8, the psalmist says, "In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety." So here, the psalmist is saying, you know, it is it, it's, it's, that sleep is a good thing, and that we're able to those who have confidence in the goodness and the, and the care of God are able to sleep peacefully, right? Um, so, I don't want to overkill the, uh, the sleep analogy here, but I think we have to, we can't read this, Another story about another guy who is asleep in a boat in the midst of a storm, and the and the sailors who are sailing that boat are angry with him uh, because he's asleep and he's not doing anything to help, and so they wake him up. Almost the same. the, 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 the sequence of events is almost exactly the same those of you who know the story know I'm talking about Jesus and uh, I'm going to read the passage it's just a couple verses but uh, it's remarkable how, how closely similar it is to the passage from Jonah uh, this is I'm going to read from Mark chapter 4 verse 35 to 41 it says on that day when evening had come he said to them let us go across to the other side Be still, And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So, similar steps along the way, the ending of course is different. But, uh, but similar in that we have this man asleep in the boat in the middle of the great storm. Jonah, you know, is running away from God in and, and his disobedience, and he, he's asleep as, as a way of escaping. Um, but Jesus is sleeping peacefully in the midst of the storm because he's not running away from God. he is living in communion with his Father. And he knows that his life is in his hands. And he has the peace of trusting in the goodness of God. So, I want to make clear here, you know, especially looking at these two stories, that when God sends storms our way, it's not always because of disobedience. I mean, God sent a storm to Jonah because of his disobedience, but it doesn't always work that way. It's not why Jesus got into a storm. Um, and just think about, you know, think about the sailors who are on the boat with Jonah. They were just doing their jobs, right? Minding their own business. And they got stuck in this terrible storm because of Jonah's sin, right? It wasn't their fault that they. All they had to do with it was the fact that Jonah was on their ship. So they were suffering from what Jonah had done. And, and we'll see as we go on in the story, we'll talk about today, but as we go farther in the book of Jonah, we'll see that God actually uses Jonah's presence on there to actually um, bring them to faith and to lead them to, to faith. But, um, but they hadn't done anything wrong to get them into that situation. And then when you think about the disciples in the boat with Jesus, you know, what did they do to get themselves in the middle of the storm? Well, they were following Jesus, right? They weren't disobeying. They weren't running away from God. Jesus said, let's go. And so they went. They followed him. And, And it looks to me like Jesus set them up. You know, Jesus took them out of the boat so that they would go through that storm with him. I think he wanted to show them that he is the Lord of the wind and the waves. He wanted to show them that you can trust God in all situations. God is trustworthy and that God is good. No matter what storms you have to go through, that God is enough to see you through. Now, there is a, a popular notion among some Christians that if you have enough faith, you won't have any problems. Um, we call it the, the health and wealth gospel. Um, you know, that if you just believe enough God will give you everything you want and pray hard enough, you know, all whatever sicknesses will go away. There are people who believe that. I don't know if they read their Bible because that's not sure where you get that message from the Bible because it's a lot of God's people who are suffering in the Bible. Um, I should need to wrap this up, but I want to share one just a story. A story. There's a there's a woman named Laura Story um, who I've become familiar with through the music of the of Keith and Getty. Um, she wrote a book called "When God Doesn't Fix It: Lessons You Never Wanted to Learn and Truths You Can't Live Without." But the title kind of I think you know summarizes it. Like, when God doesn't fix it, but her, her her story is that. Um, Shortly after getting married, her husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And um, <clears throat> they were told that he very likely would not survive. And um, anyway, but they're Christians, and so they prayed, and they got a lot of people to pray, and, and um, he was able to have the surgery, and they were able to move the tumor, and he, and he did survive. Um, but it left him with significant um, issues. Um, kind of a change in personality, very severe memory loss. And, and she tells a story of you know of really believing that if she had, had enough, you know, if she had enough faith, that there were enough prayers, that God would take everything back to the way it used to be. And she had to learn through this experience that God was faithful even in the midst of the difficulties of their situation. She writes, I no longer believe the myth that trials are a curse. Trials are an opportunity. They are an invitation to do good works, to glorify our Father in heaven, to transform our lives from the inside out and to drive us into the arms and footsteps of Jesus. And she, she wrote a song, she's a musician. She wrote a song called Blessings that kind of, um, I think expresses this, this message really well. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just read you some of the lyrics from the song. Um, it's a beautiful song, I really recommend if you haven't heard it to YouTube it or whatever, how you listen to your music. But I heard the lyrics, I won't read all of them. She says, We pray for blessings. We pray for peace, comfort, for family, for protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while, you hear each spoken need, yet love us way too much to give us lesser things. And the chorus says, what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? And then I'll skip a little bit. She says, when friends betray us and the darkness seems to win, We know that pain reminds this heart that this is not our home. What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? And what if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are your mercies? In disguise. So, you know, we, we do live in a scary place. We live in the midst of, of a storm. How do we find peace in the midst of the storm? And I will offer to you that we entrust our lives to the Lord of the storm. We entrust our lives to the Lord of the storm. Jonah was thrown into the storm because of his own sin and rebellion but in in his death in his crucifixion and death and ultimately resurrection jesus was thrown into the storm of god's anger against our sin he died the death that we deserved in order to give us life that we don't So faith in Jesus is not only looking to him to take away our sins, to make us right with God. Faith in Jesus means we can trust him every day. Every day, through whatever storms and trials he takes us through. We count on his goodness, even when he takes us through hard things. Jonah was asleep in the storm because he was trying to escape the mess that he had made. Jesus invites us to give him our mess. And when we do, he goes with us through the storm and even gives us peaceful sleep.